Good morning, church family. Uh, you know, do y'all know why I normally start off the sermon by calling you church family? Bingo. Say it louder. Because you are, that's right, because you're both of those things in many ways. Crossroad is my church home, and you are my church family. And, and as such, sometimes family have hard discussions. And I had a conversation with a dear friend earlier this week that has, pre- it, it has produced a significant amount of stress. Uh, and I'm reasonably sure that everyone in this room is familiar with stress, right? Typically it isn't fun. Um, but it's not always bad. Okay, about, about three times a week, uh, there's a few guys, Wyatt's one of them sometimes, that, that come and, and meet in my garage and we lift heavy objects together. Okay, and there's a lot, Lucas has been one, yeah, there, there's a lot of, and Will, I'm sorry, I'm, there, there's lots of you guys. There's been a lot of, of grunting and shouting and sweating and some friendly competition. Um, and, and we put a lot of stress on our bodies during that time. And it's hard then, and it's hard later too, because we get sore, but then we rest and we replenish and we gain benefits from all of this, this stress. And that is the good kind of stress because it's the kind of stress that produces growth. And y'all, this conversation was like that, the one I had with this, with this dear friend. It, it, it hurt at the time, uh, and it hurt a little after. In fact, it's probably still a little bit sore, um, but I think it's worked out for the good. And the downside of that is this message is not what I had been working on Monday through Wednesday, <laughs> okay? Uh, in fact, as I was typing this sentence, okay, it was almost 1 a.m. on Thursday, But I think the Holy Spirit has impressed on me that this is a message that all of us need to hear. And so we're preempting Revelation 2. We're putting that off till next week, okay? You may have noticed the title of this message is Why We Need Each Other. And that's really why I felt felt led to share that today. Our, Our text is three verses. It's out of Romans 12. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. In order to get a a little bit of context for today's passage. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8. Okay, and the first couple of verses are going to be very familiar to you, uh, but bear with me here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verses 1 and 2. For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It's verses 3 through 5. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father God, I pray for wisdom and guidance, Lord, as, as you know, uh, Father, this has been an interesting week, and it's been, um, it's been there's had some, some good stuff come of it. 
And I pray, Father, that every little bit of the good stuff translates over to the people that are here this morning. I pray, Father, that we are all good soils, that the word takes root and bears fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so while the kids are finding the bingo pictures here, um, I know you guys have heard messages before uh, from this pulpit that touch on the first couple of verses that we looked at, the idea of, of being living sacrifices, right? And, and that just... It just makes sense for the Christian, right? He says, this is your reasonable act of worship. Okay, that's a pretty solid point, okay? And then Paul explains how this entails being transformed by the renewing of each individual's mind as opposed to being conformed to the world. I love how J.B. Phillips uh, paraphrases says, says, don't let yourself be squeezed into the world's mold, <laughs> you know? Uh, but then he moves into what will look like, what, uh, what that will look like in their interactions with other people particularly with regard to exercising spiritual gifts. And then he names quite a few of those in the next few verses, including prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. These are all valuable gifts, and they are not an exhaustive list either. Okay, 1 Corinthians names several other potential gifts the Holy Spirit might give to believers uh, as we grow in Christ. That is all important stuff, but for today, we're going to hone in on verses 3 through 5. So we're going to take that one piece at a time. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. I want you to pause there for a second. You might be thinking, how does this verse here, how does this fit into why we need each other? And before we get into that, I want to make a statement that you guys can tell me whether this rings true to you, okay? It is my belief that almost Anyone who's not a raging narcissist can admit that they need other people in order to be the best person they can be. Would you agree with that? Okay. Stick with it. Put, that, put, a, put a pin in that. We'll come back to that, okay? As far as Romans 12.3 goes, I think the Apostle Paul is making something of a transition here because, uh, you know, if, you, if you've taken Chris's class, you know this. The first 11 chapters or so of, of Romans are basically uh, a systematic theology. Basically kind of tells you uh, how salvation works, why it's necessary, what that looks like to some extent in a Christian's life. But as you continue on, there's basically, in chapter 12, he really moves into application. Because after explaining what we ought to be, which is living sacrifices, most of the rest of the book is telling us how to relate to one another as believers. And verse 3 starts off right by telling us what our attitude needs to be so that we'll be prepared for the instructions to follow. Okay, So for, for us to be able to interact with each other, even in the most basic of ways, can be difficult. Amen? Okay? It comes, it comes easier, I think, for some than others, but I don't think it comes naturally for hardly anybody. Otherwise, toddlers would be able to get along better than they do, right? I mean, that's, a, a, a child is a human being in its least mature state, right? Anytime you have more than one person involved in literally almost anything, there will on some level be a conflict of interests, you know, some personalities don't jibe well with other personalities. People have different visions for the future. We, we don't always have the same idea of what is best. And yet, as we touched on a moment ago, everyone but the hardest-hearted person would admit that we need each other. And so the, imp 
The appropriate question, I think, then, is, is why? I mean, instead of designing us to be completely self-sufficient, why did God set it up so that we need each other? And I think one reason this verse hints at is because it's harder that way. So, wait, what? Why, why, why would God intentionally plan to make something harder than it needs to be? Well, at the risk of repeating metaphors, maybe for the same reason that a coach might make the workout harder for his athletes so that they will grow. I mean, think about it. I was reading a great article on, on, uh, on church leadership recently, and the author pointed out how strange it seems that God chose to design a leadership model for the church around a plurality of male elders. Why does the Bible indicate that a group of men be responsible for oversight of the church rather than having one guy just take it upon himself? The author speculated it was a masterful move on God's part to force people to do something difficult. You know, getting a, a group of guys together who have very different personalities and trying to get them all on the same page to pursue a common goal is really tough and especially when there's a, a commitment to, to maintaining a consensus whenever possible. So in, in other words, if, if there's dissenters in the room, you try to get to the place where everyone is willing to defend a decision. And as one might expect, it's not always possible. But the end goal for the sake of unity and for the good of the body is to try to get there. And when I read this article, I thought, wow, that's really profound. And, and then it hit me once again that God is, in fact, really smart. He designs things for a reason. This obviously doesn't just apply to, to a board of elders, but to, to nearly every level of human connection that can occur between Christians. You know, part of the reason why God designed it so that we need each other is because it forces us to check our pride. You know, if, you've never, if you never interact with anyone else, you never have to be told no, Right? And so you're, never, you're never asked a tough question. You're never challenged by anyone to think differently on a subject. You get to be a little tyrant in your own tiny kingdom. Sometimes a person, even a professing Christian, can put themselves in a similar situation by choosing to only associate with people who agree with them on every issue. You know, it might, it might not be a kingdom of one person, but it's a kingdom of one personality. And that can be uninspiring at best and dangerous at worst. And still others build a wall around themselves, right? They do that either by, by, by having a prickly exterior to keep people away from them, or, or maybe they just refuse to engage in anything beyond surface depth or in conversation, even in life. They just won't connect with anybody on a deep level. And the fact that it's always hard to get along with everyone else is a really genius move on God's part because it requires to, it, we have to learn to work together. We've got to learn to work together despite preferring to do it alone, even though that's easier most of the time in a lot of ways. You know, how many of you ever thought, I need to teach so-and-so to do something, right? You probably thought that, haven't you? Really, nobody? Or are you guys just not hand-raising? Okay, good, okay. Some of you have thought, but, but then you realize it's easier to do it yourself in the short run and so you don't teach them. You ever had that? That's why Judah still can't tie his shoes. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You know, or, or maybe you're, you're concerned that, that they won't do it as well as you do. 
So you never give them a chance. If so, let me encourage you the next time you're looking at yourself in the mirror, I want you to say, hold up your hand and smile and say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm a perfectionist, okay? And then say to yourself, hi, so-and-so, but don't do that in the church bathroom like later today because somebody might hear you and they might think you're crazy, but, but just recognize perfectionism is an aspect of your personality that needs work, okay? That is something that we need to work on, but we need to recognize there are other people who need the opportunity to grow, and if we decide not to work with them, even, even you know, if we're like, oh, it's just because they won't do as good of a job, if that's the case, we're missing out on the chance to do something good for the kingdom of God to disciple someone else in something good. And the flip side of that is people also have to be willing to be taught. You know, some people naturally reject the idea of learning a new way to do something, and we'll get to you shortly, okay? But, but just to reiterate, okay, Paul says that by God's grace, he instructs us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He says, but see ourselves realistically, you know? Y'all overestimating ourselves, our, our gifts or our abilities or our wisdom can get us in all kinds of trouble. Proverbs 26, 12 tells us, a man who thinks himself wise is more hopeless than a fool. I'm going to say that again. Proverbs 20, twi- 20 twix, yep. Proverbs 26, 12 says, a man who thinks himself wise is worse off than a fool. More hopeless. And there's a reason that Solomon wrote that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Anyway, let's continue. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, see, God is the one who allots abilities. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Now, we're going to dive deeper shortly here into, into the idea of the body in the third point. But for now, this passage is a reminder that God has also designed the body of Christ to need each other because it's also easier that way. Okay, so it's harder that way, and it's easier that way. Both in different ways. One of the reasons that we need each other is that there are some things that one person can do for someone else and vice versa that we can't do for ourselves. And there's at least a couple of ways that, that this feature maybe displayed in a healthy church setting. You ever notice that we all have different abilities? Have you? How many of you feel like the Lord has gifted you to teach? Keep your hand up. I'm taking notes. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, you may have noticed some people have a gift to, to communicate effectively or, or God's blessed them maybe with greater insight into Scripture, but not everyone has the same type of gifting. But then how many of you are, are blessed with the gift that 1 Corinthians 12, 28 calls administration? Please put your hand up if you are. <laughs> it's good to know because I'm in awe of those folks, really, who are mentally organized and can delegate and manage people and projects effectively. That is such an amazing gift. Or a person, uh, and I'm looking at one right now, who has the gift of mercy, able to work with infants and little children. You know, that is not something everyone does well either. In fact, relatively... Few people, I think, feel called by God to wrangle other people's toddlers, and yet God blesses those who do so. He gives you that capability. See, having different abilities means that we can make up for one another's lack that did not work. 
All right, we can make up for each other's lack. I don't believe there's any one person anywhere on the planet that has been given every spiritual blessing that there is, every spiritual gift. So that's what I meant to say, sorry, because we do have all spiritual blessings in Christ. So in order to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Christians have to minister to one another. We have to, we have to, to work with one another, with each other, through God's power working through us. And I want to share a really dumb example um, from a real-world context, okay? I, I am not a physically flexible person, and there's, there's a space in the middle of my back that's more than a foot square that I cannot reach, okay? And it, it's wonderful that I have a wonderful wife who will scratch my back. She does not always enjoy the, the privilege of being able to do this for me, okay? She, the, the dependency annoys her at times, but she is accommodating nonetheless. At the same time, Shannon cannot massage her own shoulders very effectively, and so I do that for her. It, it's a simple illustration, but it makes sense, okay? There are some things that we require other people to do, even, even outside of the, the realm of spiritual gifting. You know, Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one, right? It says if one falls down, the other can lift him. I mean, this is incredibly valuable in a particular area that Christians don't talk about enough. And so we're going to talk about that today when we get into point three. So let's do that. Uh, after referring to one body having many, many members, slow down, Mark. After referring to one body having many members, Paul says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There we go. So let's recap. Why do we need each other? Okay, first, because it's harder that way, but God grows us through the different personalities interacting. And because it's easier that way, for God gives us these abilities that complement one another's strengths and weaknesses, but we also need each other because becoming fully mature is impossible in any other way. And this is entirely, once again, by design. God set up the sanctification process so that it would require sinful people to deal with other sinful people. And both the difficulties and the facilitation that are caused by others are part of our progress in Christ. And there's one particular area in this that comes into intense focus, and that, my friends, is blind spots. How many of you have ever taken driver's ed? Most of us, right? Maybe you already see where this is going, but stick with me here. There's a reason that we learn to check our blind spot before we change lanes, right? It's a place that the mirrors don't cover, and there might be a danger that we can't see without checking. Every driver knows that he has or she has a blind spot. But sometimes we forget to check, right? You ever been riding along with, with your friend in the back seat or, or whatever, and, and you're, you're signaling, you're starting to move over, and the, and the person back there goes, whoa! And you instinctively you know, kind of swerve back, like, whoa, I mean, because you, 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 you know why they're woeing, right? And the reason is that there was somebody there, and that person speeds back and passes you and shakes their fist and yells or whatever. Um, have you ever experienced that? Yeah, that was you? No, I'm kidding. But weren't you glad that your friend could see that car when you didn't, right? And weren't you glad that your friend alerted you instead of watching you just bump into the other car? Of course, 
This illustration breaks down, though, because the driver knows that he has a blind spot and knows he didn't check it and saw the obvious danger that his friend helped him to avoid. So you thank them instead of getting mad at them. If only Christians would accept that we all have blind spots too. No, we think my mirrors are good. I can see everything. But we can't. You remember that conversation I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, the one that I said was stressful. It was a friend alerting me to a blind spot. And, um, and I know that I'm not very good at receiving criticism sometimes, and my initial reaction was defensive. Okay? I didn't realize maybe how defensive I get. But upon praying about it, which was a very simple prayer, I was out walking at almost midnight, walking around the neighborhood, and I said, basically, God, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Am I wrong here? You know, let the Spirit pray, whatever. And, and after that, and, and after seeking feedback from some trusted friends, the Holy Spirit revealed that a good part of what my friend had said was true. He was right. And another trusted friend also opened up about an area, because I, I opened the door by asking them, you know, do you see this? They, it was an area that I had hurt them unintentionally and had revealed a, a, a really a prideful mindset. And so, so that was pretty rough, honestly. Um, in a short span of time, uh, I learned that I'm not as good at receiving criticism as I thought and that I had hurt at least two different friends. Glad they spoke up. God bless them for speaking up. It, it took courage. And if they hadn't, I might still be clueless about an area where I need improvement. Now, church family, obviously, we need to be willing to say, whoa, when someone's about to collide with someone else, right? But we also need to be willing to humbly, gently challenge one another about our blind spots. And we need to be willing to listen to one another and weigh and sift what's being said. You know, in each case... My two friends confided that they would not have said anything if I hadn't opened the door for them to do so. And even then, I could have responded better. But we have to open the door for constructive criticism. We have to be willing to receive it and not resent it. We need each other because we all have blind spots that require a brother or a sister to lovingly point out. And, and please bear in mind that not every flaw has to be immediately addressed by every person, okay? That's, well, that's not how we're doing that, okay? God provides the timing, and he provides the, the relationships that foster this kind of accountability. But we have to be open to receiving it, and we have to be willing when the Holy Spirit has provided that obvious opportunity, and that takes discernment, and that takes patience, but we need each other because that is how iron sharpens iron. We'll spend just a bit of the time uh, on the idea that we're part of the body of Christ and we'll wrap it up. Colossians says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Remember, the head, the head guides the body, right? Not the other way around. We can't forget that. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's, that's a fairly succinct gospel presentation right there, isn't it? I mean, look at that. That's the, the, the Christ's deity, his atoning death, and the importance of the resurrection, that's all very clearly mentioned right there in that little chunk of Scripture. And his importance to the church cannot be overstated. Without the head, the body is what? 
dead. Thank you. But we are the body of Christ. And while the head is the most important part, without which nothing else can function, we should bear in mind that the individual body parts are also designed by God to be kind of indispensable. Okay? Meaning what? means every part of the body has a purpose. And the body parts all work together and they rely on each other. And there's this great passage in 1 Corinthians uh, where, where Paul fleshes this out, pun intended. Um, and I, I want us to go over that for just a moment, okay? It's mostly self-explanatory. So I'm not going to dive too deep. But there's a couple of things to point out. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 12. I just shot a laser. Wow. This is 1 Corinthians 12 starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the bodies, excuse me, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Greeks are Jews, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, Right? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make the ear any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see what Paul is saying. Every part of the body, he said, has an essential function, and, and every function is varied, and all the parts are needed to work together for the body to work properly. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Okay, now, this explanation is a little weird. But let's all be mature for a moment, okay? The weaker parts of the body that are indispensable are nearly all on the inside of us, right? Your heart, your liver, your lungs. Nobody ever sees those. At least they shouldn't, you know? Nobody ever sees those, but without them, the body dies. How hugely important are the people behind the scenes that are never up front here, but are always faithfully supporting those who are? And the parts that he calls less honorable and unpresentable have functions that are necessary to propagate the species, okay? So without the weaker parts, we'd be dead. Without the unpresentables, we would never multiply. So how vital is it that every part of the body be recognized as valuable and needed? But God, I just turned it off. (laughs) There we go. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division. Catch that. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, we are all the body of Christ and we ought to recognize ourselves as such and treat one another as such. We should extend the same care to one another as we might to, to a part of ourselves. I remember this, this associate youth guy that worked under me a while back, and, and one time he was leading a devotion. He had this little freshman girl come up that was about five feet tall, and he, she stood in front of everybody. I still remember her name was Jenny. And without warning her, he reached out and he pinched her arm. And of course, she reacted to that pinch like any normal person would. You know, <laughs> she did this. Now, here's the thing. Today, 
he'd probably gotten fired and sued. But, but back then, things were different. Nobody called the police, okay? This girl went back to her seat, and this young man said something that has stuck with me for two decades now. He said, did you see how her whole body reacted to that one spot where I pinched? That's how the body of Christ ought to respond when one member hurts. We're all part of the same body. And that illustration preached. And we are all part of the same body, and as such, there's a sense in which we belong to each other. We have a responsibility toward each other, both within the universal body of Christ and more immediately as individual parts of this local body. So we have an obligation to each other, too. We need to be in prayer for each other's families, prayer for each other's marriages. We need to, to humbly confront and gently restore when called to do it. And we need to challenge at times and comfort at others. That's our job as the body. Uh, I'm going to end with this. Uh, this is a list of positive commands in Scripture that I think of as the one another's. And I want to, to encourage you um, to, to follow along, maybe, maybe fill in the blanks in your bulletin insert, and then keep it folded up in your Bible or tape it up you know, somewhere where you'll see it on a regular basis so you don't forget it, okay? Why do we need each other? Because God wants us to be at peace with one another. It's Mark 9, 50. To wash one another's feet. It's John 13, 14. To love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Those are both Romans 12, 10. To live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, he says. That's from... Uh, Romans 15, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know that shows up four times in Scripture? Four different times. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Wait for one another. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. 33. Have the same care for one another. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Comfort one another and agree with one another from 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Through love, serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. Bear with one another in love, that's Ephesians 4, 2. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, it's 4, 32. He says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, 6. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5, 21. Teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Build one another up, 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Show hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, means be humble. Seek to do good to one another, that's 1 Thessalonians 5.15. I think I got that one out of order, sorry. Exhort one another every day. It's Hebrews 10, 24. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. James 5, 15. Stir one another up to love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24. And then showing up at least eight times that I counted, but one example of it is 1 John 4, 7, is love one another. And 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Look at that. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That last one really resonates with me. And and when all else fails, keep loving one another earnestly. You are my church family. And you are also each other's church family. So let's live that out together. And that's what we're doing here. If if you're not a part of this church family yet and you're an immersed believer in Jesus, I want to encourage you to take that step of placing membership here. And if you're a believer in Jesus who's never taken that step of being immersed, then that's your first obligation. That that invitation is extended to you this morning. And if you're already a part of this church family and you'd like to ask for prayer or if you you want to make a confession or something, um, we'll be up here as we stand and as we sing together. So let's stand up.